So we're joined today with a guest who I was very excited to have actually answer one of my Instagram inquiries. Right? I was like, I wanted to talk to this guy. I wanted to help this guy out. I wanted to hear his story. Um, it's Edward Checo. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. Um, who is the founder and owner of Bar Stars? That's spelled with two Z's, no S's. Right? Well, one S. It's in the middle, though. Yeah. Right? So for those of the for those of you guys out there listening who don't know anything about Bar Stars, can you give us a little bit of a background of what Bar Stars is? Bar Stars is a, a movement that I would say popularized being fit with using just your body and limited equipment. So we promote park fitness, going to your local park, working out at home. And I always tell people how I got started. I did my first pull-ups on a closet hanger where you hang clothes on. You lucky it didn't fall. Yeah, I was really small. As I, I actually <laughs> broke it as I got older. I believe it. Yeah, so because you know, you always in the mirror, you always look the same size. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the scale lies and you get a little bigger. Yeah, I'd say so. But so that was a very modest way for you to put what Bar Stars in. And, and it's kind of the, um, it's probably at the crux of it what you guys are really all about. But I think what most people know it for is those crazy videos of people doing things on pull up bars, parallel bars on the floor, all kinds of stuff in parks, looking all jacked and shredded and being fit as hell and making it look easy. So, yeah, I could definitely go more in depth. Uh, I gave a, a brief summary. So uh, we started a YouTube channel in 2009. I, I taught myself how to record, and I started uh, this crew, Bar Stars, and the people in my neighborhood, Washington Heights, New York City, would meet up at this park, and I would record and put these images up of what we could do. Because I always felt like it was something amazing, but never knew how amazing it was because it was such a, a regular between uh, me and my friends. And then once you put it on the internet, you see like this, this, uh, how do I phrase it? Explosion? Just, yeah, exactly. This explosion of just, wow, you could do that. But for me, you know, a typewriter pull-up was normal. Everyone on the... What is a typewriter pull-up? Uh, when you go from left to right at the very top of a pull-up. So you're holding onto the pull-up bar, your chin is over the bar, your chest is at bar height, and you're basically opening up your left elbow and then closing your right one and then switching to the other direction. Perfect. Perfect explanation. Okay. So yeah, that, that's like an example of a pretty basic move, but many people could have done that uh, from, from my circle, but that shows you that we're all in a bubble because we put it on the internet and and that even to this day, that's probably one of the most popular moves that people ask questions about. Sure. So from there, I, I started making videos and uh, bigger blogs and media sites picked it up and... Uh, I just had a, a life of abundant of experiences from there, from 2009 till now. Well, so so when did you go from, I'm going to get fit doing this, to let's see what kind of cool tricks we can do on here? How, how, did, how did it go from one to the other? That's a good question. Thanks. I, uh, I never wanted, I never had the mindset of being fit. So growing up, I wanted to be like my older brother. And my older brother was a college football player, and he worked out to be big. That was his goal, his only goal. How much older than you is he? He's 10 years older than me, so it's a, a big gap. So when he was playing college football, I was maybe like a toddler. I was still under under double digits. Right, eight years old. Yeah, so I was doing push-ups and uh, squats based on him and then just eating as much as I can because I wanted to get big. I wanted to be big like my older brother. Then I would say around the age of 15, I, I was introduced to chin-ups and pull-ups from a friend in high school. He went, did some pull-ups, and he was just looking ripped. And uh, and I just like, yo, what do you do? Because at the time, I only had the, the push-ups, 
dumbbell curls, curls with this little dumbbell I had in my house and squats. I think those only three exercises I did for like five, six years of my life. And then you do doing air squats, right? There was no way yeah, air squats, air squats. Uh, growing up, a gym was really expensive. Only in the most recent years have uh, things like Planet Fitness and Crunch and all these brands came up where it's just like 10 to $15 a gym. But growing up, it would be like, you know, $200 down and $80 a month. And growing up where I was growing up, that was just a, a complete luxury, complete. So you, you did what you had. And there was no way my parents are going to spend... Uh, Anything near $30 a month, $40, $50 a month to send me to a gym, not including the down payment. Especially when you got the park down the block, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even work out in the park at first. So maybe it, it took to, to a point where I got to a teenager because it wasn't cool. Like working out, it was like maybe I was the only person in my elementary school working out and then in junior high school, maybe one out of three of the whole school. So it was never, no one bragged about working out. No one talked about working out. It was more like uh, other stuff, you know. Pokemon was cool at the time. Yo-yos, uh, razor, uh, the razor scooters, or uh, so you, you young thirties. No, I'm uh, twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Yeah. Okay. So it's been <laughs> it's gone by. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think back to my youth of what what was popular when I was around. I guess I thought Pokemon was when I was around, but I guess it was maybe a little bit after my time. Or early thirties. Thirty-three. Oh, man, I got the gray hairs to prove it. I think Pokemon was really cool when I was 12, so you were about... I would have been 17. Yeah, you're a little old for Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm driving cars trying, trying to pick up girls, right? Yeah, exactly. Trying is the operative word there, <laughs> trying. Um, but so so how did it become for you? You know, when did you say, okay, I'm going to take this to the park then? You saw your friend do pull-ups. He's shredded. Yeah. And no. all he did, it's funny because I actually had a more varied exercise than he did because all he did was push-ups and pull-ups. Okay. So he didn't even do the squats and he didn't do the, the curls. The Herschel Walker program. Yeah, exactly. And he was looking shredded. I mean, he had great genetics. and But as a kid, you don't know about genetics. You're just like, you know, shit, that's what I, if that's what's worked for him, that's going to work for me. So I started incorporating pull-ups. And then maybe like two years later, around 17, I seen someone do a typewriter. At a park. So now I'm, I'm now, uh, I can't ever remember when I made that transition to being, going to parks or going outside. Uh, that's just something that never stuck out to me. Just one day, I guess I went outside. Um, but I seen someone do a typewriter pull up, never even asked them. I didn't, I just admired from far and I was like, I'm going to learn that stuff. So at around, uh, 16 or 17, I just like, uh, started going side to side, a typewriter pull up. And then um, I, I started doing circle pull-ups. And I just tried to think as much as I could. But again, because I was still like contained with just myself, I, my uh, imagination was limited. But I, that's when I started like learning a little bit of freestyle. And I think another year later, around 17, 18, I see my first muscle-up. And that, that blew my mind. You saw your first muscle-up? Yeah. And you were like, whoa, like I got over the top of the bar. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I remember what struck out to me was he wasn't a gym. Like he was a, a hood dude. Like he was just, he had baggy <laughs> pants and he came to the park and just and knocked it out. I'm picturing saggy and baggy jeans with a belt that was too loose, boxers hanging off the top, no shirt on. A little extreme. Okay. But, but the pants were definitely big. He had a shirt on, a do-rag. Okay. But he was just no nonchalant. Like, he was just, like, it was so, like, I'm here doing my workout, and this guy comes, and he's just, he's talking to his friends, and uh, he, he, I actually knew him, so he was talking to me a little bit, but not so well, and he just cracked some, two muscle-ups. And at the time, muscle-ups weren't popular, so. He didn't strip that, I imagine. 
Um, I wouldn't say as strict as because the standards being pushed every every year, but he's done it a lot. I would say closer to strict than not strict. Okay. So his his leg would fidget a bit, but for the most part, he didn't really kick or swing too much. Okay. And uh, and I, I from what I know from him, he never was a, a gymnast. He never was a anything special. Like he just did it. So I was just like, hey, you know, like like oh again, we didn't call it the muscle up. We were just calling it going over the bar, or, or some people called it going over the top. And I was just like, I want to learn this. So I, I kept trying it, and just I never got it. And uh, a couple years later. Fast forward the story. I know it's taking a little. No, it's good. I like it. Uh, a couple. Years, I never got it for that year. The next two years, but I always like dabbled in and out of exercise, so I, I wasn't a big fan of. Like I said, it wasn't the cool thing to do. I just did it because I genuinely had a passion, and then I go do it with my friends, whatever else we did. And then, a couple years later, uh, I ended up joining the gym with my friends, and we they got into calisthenics differently. But I already had that background, so with it, we we're like, oh, you know, let's start practicing pull-ups, and then we got, uh, we all joined the three of us to pursue the muscle-up, and my two friends, uh, John Hendricks and Tony Junka, actually got it before I did, and them getting it encouraged me the next day to get it. Okay, so what do you think was missing? What 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 did you add to get to that muscle-up, and how long did that take you from the day that you were like, I want to get a muscle-up, to actually having a muscle-up? How long do you think that took you? I think that took me a month. No, okay. So there's two there's two different times in my life when I said I want to get the muscle up. That one time when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and that didn't work out for years. So I did try, I'd say for like two weeks. Okay. But I was, again, I was very undisciplined. Uh, working out was a, a hobby. So I only thought about the muscle up when I was at the park or working out. When I was doing other stuff, the muscle up was the last thing on my mind. Right. And then the second segment where I matured in my life and I... Uh, I took working out more serious, and at that point, the muscle up was something I just thought about when I went to sleep and when I woke up. Were you studying it? At the time, it was just no one that could do it. So there was like the one kid I seen three years ago. Uh, there was a, a video on YouTube of uh, these guys called bartenders, mm-hmm. and and bskills dot uh, com had a no videos, but just like pictures. So you had to like kind of imagine him doing it. And uh, each one, I would say, played a part, but none of them was a complete tutorial. So I had to, like, fill in the blanks. So I had the idea of... Uh, I couldn't even remember what ideas I picked up. So I really didn't have a, a, a strict program or a plan. So really, it was just trial and error. And then when my friends got it, I was just complete, utter, like, there's no way they're going to get it before me. I mean, they already, at that point, they already got it before me, but at least I can say it's like I got it the next day. Mm -hmm. So I think, for me, it was definitely mental at that point. I also think it's interesting you say you didn't have a plan, but not having a plan and not having a program are not necessarily the same thing. Right? Like, you planned to get a muscle up. You're like, I'm going to get a muscle up. I mean, right? So, So it was... I think it's a really good lesson that people can take from hearing what you just said, which is, you know, you you couldn't do it. You tried for two weeks when you were like 17 years old and you're like, oh, this is too hard. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to have to work for this. Yeah. Not willing to do that. Exactly. And then now you're what, 22, 23 years old. You come back to it. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to get one. And you took a month where you obsessed over it. You were fitter probably. Yeah. yeah. But... And after a month, you got it. And then the biggest motivation for you to get it fast was your friends got it first. Exactly. Exactly. So um, 
Now you get a muscle up. It's your first day. You just got a muscle up and you're, you're pumping your chest. You're excited. How does that become bar stars? Right? How, how, how does it go from a guy in the park getting his first muscle up and being excited about it to absolutely pushing the envelope of what is even possible on a piece of metal? I like that. I like definitely like the way you phrased it. Um, so like at the, at the time, so there was already uh, different calisthenics on uh, YouTube mm -hmm. as far as uh, muscle ups and handstands. So we had a uh, an idea of like, okay, I well I had the idea of starting a YouTube channel. So I wasn't so computer savvy. So I had a friend help me build a computer. I invested in a camera. I was unemployed at the time, so I, I had the little money I had. I invested in a camera and a, a editing software. This is before when now computers come with a default editing software. Um, How much did that cost you? Do you remember? The camera was around two hundred dollars. And the editing software on the I don't, computer? I don't remember. I know. I'm sure I could find it. All in less than a thousand bucks, you think? Yeah, no, for sure. Because <laughs> it struggled for me to get that. Okay. So for sure it was under a thousand. So you kind of burned the boats. You were like, I have a thousand dollars left to my name. I'm going to spend it on this computer, this camera, and this software, and we're going to make this work. Exactly. I had like complete and utter belief that, yo, if, if it could be done somewhere in the world, I could do it. And were you thinking about making money with it at the time? I was thinking about making money. I just didn't know how I would make the money. So you you deep down knew if I document this, if people see it, there'll be money in it somehow. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I had a really bad, I guess, business plan for a couple of years where I just thought, hey, if I do really cool stuff, money's going to come somehow. And and it, well, it kind of works that way, but not not to a living wage. No, but but that but what you just said is so so cool because yeah. to me, right? It's I think this is the really tough point for people who are trying to make money on YouTube by doing something that's exceptional. And they become frustrated that other people don't find that what they're doing is exceptional enough to get them paid. But it's not that people don't find that they're exceptional or interesting. It's that they haven't figured out a way to make it worth something to somebody else besides viewing pleasure. Right? Do, do you understand what I'm saying by that? Yeah. No, and you're, you're describing where I was at in life to the T. It's, it's, it's like being an artist. Yeah. You know, you're an artist and you could be the best artist in the world, but your painting is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Yeah. So how do you create value around your painting? Exactly. So how did you do it? For me, um, I started uh, making my first money, I'd say, off of YouTube ad revenue. Okay. And uh, that was only because of another YouTuber. Uh, his name was Scott Herman. Uh, told me about it. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I was getting all these views. And uh, I was using copyright music. So I just thought you couldn't make money. How many views were you getting? At the time, I don't remember. I think we just broke... Uh, by the time I, before I started making uh, money from YouTube and AdSense, I would say I was around a million. A million views per video? No, no, or no. Total? It's a total. Okay. On the old YouTube channel. So if you look us up on YouTube, there's two different Bar Stars channels. Okay. There's one that has the copyright infringements that's uh, <laughs> that's unmonetized. Right. And that shows you, like, at that point, it's like, okay, I need to make a change. Right. And then the newer YouTube channel, which is, uh, the newer YouTube channel is at 130 million views. Co collected 130 million yeah that's a good number yeah yeah it's great how many subscribers do you know that um 640,000 impressive so most of the revenue from that comes from ads is that what you're saying or is there is there more to it have you have you evolved no yeah so like I think bar size is also a show of uh, me growing up maturely so at first I just thought people would give me money then I learned about AdSense I was like okay I can make a good living off AdSense but then you kind of realize uh, you have to diver diversify 
uh, your income because you don't want to be dependent on another company who has you as an independent contractor, which is what I was doing with Google. So I eventually uh, branched out to uh, training programs, merch, uh, workshops, uh, one-on-one coaching. Now we have the Bar Stars BTX. Which is what? A 12-week program that people could run where you could get in shape as well as learn skills at the same time. Cool. So it's like our program, just just for a different purpose. Exactly. That's cool. So I think that the most interesting thing to me about this entire conversation so far is you have this passion to to become celebrity, for lack of a better word, right? To be known, to, to have people notice what you guys are doing and to enjoy it, right? And then you recognize that if you want to monetize it, if you want to be able to do this as much as you want to do it, you got to make money from it. And if you're going to make money from it, you can't just be great at it. You have to be great at everything about it, making sure people find it, making sure people know where to go once they've found it, making sure that there's something for people to buy once they've landed on it and they want to buy, right? So how much time did you spend, would you say, figuring that part out? Was it a constant research of what else do I need to do to make sure that this is worth it? Yeah, you, you summed it up perfect. Um, for me, I had what a hard part for me was a really hard part. And I'm sure a lot of listeners go through this is uh, finding that balance between work and working out. Because as an athlete, you want to work out. That's what you want to do. And if you work out at a really high level, it takes up a good portion of the day. So the days, the part of the day you're not working out, it's not like you could just have a really intense two-hour workout and then sit down at the desk and answer emails. Because your blood's pumping, your adrenaline is going, your mind, your mind becomes foggy. So... I had to learn to, to scale my workout just a bit so I wouldn't be coming uh, exhausted and start learning. So that's the, the first step is learning how uh, someone in your field makes income. And you could, you know, do your research and write down all the different ideas and different notes and what you could be doing differently and how you could be doing stuff better and what you could serve what services you could offer that's related to your topic. And while you were doing that, while you were scaling back your own physical fitness and your own prowess, essentially, were your friends and people doing this with you passing you in terms of their ability on the bar? Yeah, of course. I think, uh, yeah, it hurt. you have to let your ego go because uh, um, looking back at a lot of people that started roughly around the same time as me, I've made a, a, a nice income and great, uh, I, I'm, I'm living off my passion. And as if you just focus on just the athletic level, you could go up until where your body takes you. Right. And I think that, but you have to have so much vulnerability to be in the moment and say, okay, I'm going to let this guy get better than me at this. Not let him, right? But I'm going to take a step back on how much time I spend getting better at tricks on the pull-up bar and on the floor and on the, on the rings and on the parallel bars and all that stuff. And at the same time, I'm going to use this guy's ability who's passing me to show people how awesome this is. Yeah, I think you, you said it just right, yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah, no. The, you go from being the man to trying to make everyone around you the man so that it can be important. And it grows everything bigger, you know? Like uh, some, an example I find myself using is uh, if, if I always want to be videotaped, who's going to videotape? You know, so for me to sit back, especially because we started with such a small budget, I, I learned how to videotape. I learned how to edit. My friend, that John Hendricks, uh, one of the guys I started with, also learned how to videotape and edit. 
because we took that sacrifice to sit down and, and record and edit, we were able to showcase uh, many different athletes that uh, otherwise would have not been showcased at all or never would have seen the world or or passed on their inspiration or motivation or even some of them their careers because we, me and John were able to step back and start learning and playing around with the cameras and learn about how to post on social media and stuff like that. So there had to be a point for you in the beginning, right? Or maybe even in the middle, I don't know where it was, where you were like, I hope I can do this for a living. Right, where it's like, okay, I don't really have much money left. What what was that like? I mean, am I right? Was that there? Did that happen? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, at the beginning, there was no money. I, I was just in debt. I very fortunately won a lawsuit in between uh, the beginning of Bar Stars. So I was, uh, uh, thank uh, the universe for that. Because it wasn't not for that, I, I, Bar Stars probably would have ended because I would have had to, to figure out a way to get a job and do this in between having a job. What happened there? How'd you, what, what would you... What was the lawsuit over? Uh, wrongful arrest. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I sued the city of New York and... And won. Yeah, yeah. So... so it wasn't it wasn't a huge sum, but it was uh, uh, enough, maybe enough to hold me down for like a year. Well, I think that also when we look at that, it's... Do you mind going into that a little bit? Yeah, I don't know. We'll just go for what, it. What were you arrested for? Uh, so long and uh, diverse story about living in New York City. Um, I was with a friend. Actually, I had a job. I was, I was working at a factory for my uh, dad's... Let's see. My dad worked at a factory, got me a job. And uh, I had uh, friends. And uh, not everyone has the, the best of friends uh, as far as what they're into or what they do. Mm -hmm. But for me, this was a normal day where I was hanging out with my friend. They picked me up. So they picked me up. All I know is I'm in the car with my friends. Uh, we ended up, we hang out the whole day and we ended up going to like a, a deli. And uh, in New York City, the, these delis or grocery stores, they sell sandwiches. So we're like, we're debating, yo, do we go inside to get the deli? Uh, so we parked in front, uh, uh, undercover cop car. I don't remember the story. It could have been undercover. I don't think it's a big detail. But they tell him to move, the driver. He, uh, he like kind of ignores them. And then I guess that pissed them off and they get out and they start telling everyone to get out the car. Uh, long the story short, yeah, long story short, they find uh, uh, XTC pills in the glove compartment, uh, weed, and I think a machete. Okay. Yeah. They found a bunch of stuff in the glove compartment. They asked someone to confess and, and no one confessed to it. So they took everyone to jail. But that's not the right policy you should have. The right policy should be um, you take the owner of the car because no one here, I, I think no one, uh, maybe it's very unique in New York City, but no one goes inside their car in their friend's car and goes, yo, do you have anything in the car? Can I search your car? Like, how am I supposed to know what my friend has in his locked glove compartment? But uh, uh, they didn't even fantasize that, uh, uh, took us to jail. And then uh, I beat the case. And uh, immediately after, I went. I walked into a lawyer. I met off of Google. I explained to him what happened, and uh, he took the case immediately. Now, you had an opportunity there to just be a victim forever, to hate people for that, to say, "Fuck this! This guy did this to me." Complain, complain, complain. You settled the situation that was at hand, and then. You made something of it. And I think that there's there's something to be said for that, right? It wasn't just 
okay, I got screwed here. So I'm going to take this to the, to the end of it and then be nothing, be nobody and help nobody with it. I think you turned it into something really cool. Yeah. I, 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 I definitely had the right mindset and I have, um, actually in that situation, it was four of us in a car. So, uh, one kid went home immediately, uh, simply because he was underage. I think he was like 17 hanging out with us. And at that time I was, I was like maybe right over 18, not even, I was probably 18 on the dot. And then, uh, the other, the, the two of us, the two of us that wasn't the driver also sued. And, uh, we ended up in two different places, even though we both got money. Right. So, what, what do you mean by that? Um. So he he tried to pursue his career, and it uh it didn't work. He tried to pursue music. Okay. And I think he spent all the money, and he's now like working a, a regular job, even though he could have uh, continued to pursue it. Exactly. Or at least use the money in a, a more efficient way. Well, so that that to me is you know it's it's always fascinating uh, to see how people do when it stops being easy. You know, like I think people look at bar stars, they look at what we do, they look at what anybody does and they're like, well, yeah, sure. He got lucky. He got sued, you know, he sued, he won money and of course he was able to make something from it. No, that's not how it works. There's a lot of people who win the lottery and lose it in a week, you know? Um, and I just think that it's, it's, it's a really good story of having this problem, creating a solution from it and then launching off that solution instead of just living with it not being not not settling with it so that's cool thank you you're welcome yeah yeah i feel like i I've, I've overcome a lot in life what else um from my neighborhood it was just like always the cool thing to be like the the tough guy so that was what I was surrounded. Again, we took going back to the bubbles thing. Right. That was the thing. Like, you know, like you had to be a gangster. You had to be this 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 tough persona. And then what comes with that is like, you know, fighting and, and being in gangs. And I ended up getting arrested as a kid. And uh, I went through juvenile. Um, what did you get arrested for as a kid? Uh, a bunch of different stuff. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one was fighting. Nothing, not, nothing ever too crazy, but uh, nothing also not too small, I guess. Right. Somewhere that that fine, enough, that enough fine, get, that fine middle ground. Enough you didn't get to stay at home. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and for a while, it was just like a, I got arrested multiple times, and I thought this was a, this is gonna be my life. And then, uh, again, around the the teen, around the time I started doing switching to catastatics, I felt like that played a big impact on changing who I am as a person. So as before, like even when I was stopped being a gangster and stopped being a tough guy, I was still a, 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 just a more calm hood person. Whereas when I got more into exercise and 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 focusing on that and changing my circle of friends and and moving on to, I feel like being addicted to bettering yourself as a human, both uh, physically and mentally. I bet that was socially challenging when you started. I have almost none of the friends of I know. I have none of the friends I had. Uh, when I was going through both different phases, they're two different friends completely. Was that hard for you to say, okay, listen, I'm going in this direction. I would love you to come with me, but it's clear that you're not, so we can't have this relationship anymore. And I, I know you didn't necessarily have that conversation, but you had that conversation with yourself. 
Exactly. So it was not it's not such a direct as a, you said it, but it would be right. something like, oh, you know, I'm busy today, you know, or or I tried, of course, to like mend both groups at one point, you know, like I'll come to the park and then you realize people don't really like working out and they just want to do something else after working out. And but eventually, like if I want to learn how to do a muscle up, I have to be in the park a certain number of hours to learn it. And and being away for those hours meant I couldn't focus on doing something else for those hours. Or I'll be so tired after the park that I just want to go home and just rest. And I don't want to be doing something else. So, yeah, I made the, the conscious decision, not so directly, to to change my circle of friends. Was there guilt with that? Um, Only slightly. Like, I, I knew, like, it was like, damn, you know, like, I've known these guys for so long. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you can kind of see what's going to happen and where you're going to end up at. So there is a slight guilt, but at the end. And did they give you a hard time for them? Was it like a, yo, Ed, where are you going, man? Why are you hanging out with those guys? Why are you doing that? Uh, I, I had a little bit, but actually, surprisingly, uh, even though I don't hang out with my uh, friends from the past, they were still really supportive. I, I guess uh, uh, bar starts took off, and actually, uh, they helped me. They would, I'm going to say they helped me so much, but they tried. Like, they promoted on their smaller social media pages, and... And now I speak to them maybe like once every two years or something, and I, they always like give me props and and uh, support what I'm doing. That's cool. Yeah. Because it's nice to know even, you know, listen, somebody who doesn't have an audience can only help you so much, but it's nice to know they still have your back. Exactly. I, I feel like uh, I never, I never, uh, I think I, I've met people that get upset when they don't get to spend enough time with a certain person. I know it definitely happened with me ex-girlfriends in the past where it's like, oh, you know, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? But I, I myself, from my perspective, truly appreciate when someone's trying to to make an impact on the world, whether it's through uh, becoming a better learner, uh, becoming better physically, or just becoming better as a person. And I understand that takes time, and, and that time is better invested doing that than, you know, going to lunch with me or, or playing three and a half hours of video games with me. I don't know. I'm having lunch with you today. I think my time is well spent. We're multitasking. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but so, do you now have other people who are able to produce content without you overseeing the content, or is it all still you? You one man show. It's a it's a it's a, a funny middle part. So, I do produce most of the content, uh, but I do hire a, a, a videographer from time to time to record. Mm-hmm. And it's just more, I, I shouldn't, and I understand that's a flaw for me, but as an entrepreneur, you always think you want to be obsessed with your project, you know? Like, I try to send editor notes to an editor, and and you can't even blame him because he'll follow the notes. But then you look at it and go, oh, no, that's not what I like. And then you feel so bad by sending notes again, because you, no matter how descriptive you are, it's going to be a really tough time to get him to think, to picture exactly what's in your brain. And I feel like that happens to me a lot. I just want to be so controlled. That's scary to give someone else control. But at the same time, you, you only have so much hours in the day. I listened to a podcast one time. I forget who it was. It might have been Gary Vaynerchuk. But he was talking about how he has a really hard time giving up control. But then he finally did on certain things like his video and, and whatnot. And his daily V. It definitely was Gary Vaynerchuk. And he's like, I don't watch the video and say I don't like that angle. Change, you know, put this angle here, change the music, change this, change that. He just says, that offends me or that doesn't offend me. Go. It's like, I don't have time 
to be doing all this video editing. That's what I hired a video editor for. Um, so it's always interesting to me when somebody has a digital brand like you guys do, you're so um, visual. I mean, everything you guys do, it's if I don't see it right, I don't see it at all. So it's, I totally understand why that, that's gotta be a difficult thing for you to do. Yeah. So how do you attack that? Is that something that you think in the future you'll have an editor who you just like, this guy's with me all the time? Well, as of now, I'm already uh, syncing a videographer and editor in. Okay. So, so eventually that would be, that's the end goal is to, to scale the business to a point where I could just uh, approve or disapprove, similar to how you just described it. Cool. And do you think it's important that those guys live that culture? It is important, but it's, it's just the possibility of it is slim. Right. Because I think our community is somewhat niche. So maybe someone that's generally into fitness, but that would be ideal. Like, you know, like to find a guy that does calisthenics, who's also a great videographer and editor. So if you guys are listening right now, if you are a videographer or an editor who is totally into all kinds of calisthenics with your body weight and pull-ups, dips, handstands, crazy human tricks, reach out to Ed. Send me a resume for sure. He's looking for you. Um, That's cool. I hope you find somebody like that. That'd be cool if someone comes right from this, I would, right? I would definitely let you know. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you've created a culture. I think that's, for me, that's the thing that drew me to you the most, right? I found you by following Bar Stars now for probably five years, right? And you're welcome. And then finally being like, you know what? I now have this platform. I have this podcast and I have this office where I can provide people with value where previously I couldn't. And I never wanted to just ask, right? Like, hey, Ed, can I have anything? A moment of your time? What value do I bring to you, right? So now that I feel like I can bring some, I was excited that I'm going to try to bring it to you. Um, But I want to hear about the culture that that you've developed because I'm sure there are people right now in a park in Atlanta or a park in Michigan or a park in California doing stuff that you and your crew originated and not even necessarily knowing who you guys are, but identifying with the culture that you are in. Right. How, how did that go? How did it start or how did well, it? So, so it started with the YouTube channel. Yeah. But do you get people reaching out to you like, hey, how do I do this? And then are you responding to them? How, have you nurtured that culture or has it really happened on its own? I think a huge part was the YouTube tutorials. So we, uh, for a long time, I just thought, okay, we make, keep making videos of showing our skills. And to do tutorials didn't even come to my mind. I was just like, all right, we keep doing videos of our highlights. Because uh, that's what just I see from other athletes everywhere, you know, like uh, uh, similar cultures like parkour. Mm-hmm. At the time, uh, back then, there was no parkour tutorials. It was just a parkour highlights, uh, street ball. There was not street ball tutorials. It was just street ball highlights. So I just felt like, okay, we keep doing highlights. But then as, as I started seeing, like, people are asking these questions and people wanted this information, I was like, you know what? Let's, let's do tutorials. And I think that played a, a huge part, as well as uh, if you uh, just follow us on Instagram or Facebook, a lot of our, a lot of our stuff is repost. So we repost uh, let's say people that are inf- we influenced over here in uh, China or Africa. And I think that plays a huge part because now it's like y- you you know that you're part of this huge culture and that every now and then, you know, the, the, the bigger page, uh, the bigger page is grabbing you and, and showing you to everyone else. And that gives someone, everyone a goal to work up towards. No, I, I think that's cool. It's something that we, um, 
we do something a little bit similar, right? I mean, I've, I followed you for long enough. I follow a lot of people to the point that I'm like, what do I like that this guy's doing? What do I like that that guy's doing? And how can I bring that in? So we repost. Right? We're, we're asking people to do stuff that's different than what anyone else in our space is doing. So when someone's doing it and finding success, we want to make sure that other people are able to celebrate that. And the tutorials for sure. Yeah. How, how do I do that? It becomes inclusive now. Exactly. And also it's like you're answering someone's specific question. Yeah. And I, I, that encourages people. So let's take a quick break. Okay. Um, and we'll be right back. What's up, guys? Dr. Sean here. I just wanted to interrupt the show for a quick moment to remind you that if you're looking for more content from us than we give on this show, you can head to our website, performancecarerx.com. We have links to our YouTube channel, our one-on-one -on -one programming options, our Bulletproof programs, seminars, and even assessments and treatment in person linked right there at performancecarerx.com. You guys are amazing. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to this show. We appreciate you following us on social media at ActiveLifeRx. And I want to get you guys right back to this conversation because I know that's what you're really here for. So without further interruption, enjoy the show. All right. So we were talking about developing a culture and the idea that tutorials let people kind of come in. It stopped being the old boys club and it became the the welcoming boys club, right? So did you see a real tangible growth as soon as tutorials went out? Was it like, boom, tutorials, growth? I, I was never good at tracking when I was younger, so I, I have no idea. Uh, I can't attribute any one particular thing. I know for me, uh, I think when the YouTube channel blew up, was uh, we did a video series with uh, Hannibal for King. It was three different movements, moments. One was he did a video series with Hannibal for King, and we did a video as me, Hannibal, and Swiss, and we just, the three of us just doing tricks back to back, and we had our shirts off, and it was a hot summer day, and so many different media picked it up. Like, that video to this day has the most views, I think. Really? Like, 16 million. 16 million. So, they, uh, 16. Yeah, I heard you. Uh, That's a lot. <laughs> so, like, websites like World Star Hip Hop and... And if you read comments, like a lot of people would refer back to that video as like the video that got them started and how they never knew you could be so fair, so big from just doing calisthenics and how you could do this amazing stuff without having a gymnastics background or some type of break dancing background. And then also around that same time, I did the world championship in uh, Latvia for street workout. There is. So there's competition for this. Though. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I vlogged the whole trip. So up until that point, our videos were like three minute videos of us at the park. And this is how long ago, Latvia? 2011. Okay. And I did like a 30 minute little documentary series on it. And it was very unprofessional documentary, I guess. But it was, people loved it and it, it got almost a million hits. Well, that goes to the idea of document don't create. And that that is definitely Gary Vaynerchuk where he talks to people and he's like, you don't need to be this great video editor. You don't need to go create fake content. If you're interesting, just be interesting and put it on camera. Mm -hmm. So so you documented your interesting trip to Latvia. What was that? What is that? What is the street calisthenics competition? Um, so there's the uh, now at the time, there's diff now there's different leagues that built up. But at the time, there was the World Street Workout Federation. Did that exist before Barstars existed? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm okay. not sure at all. 
uh, at least at least definitely within the same range. I mean, you walk into places like that, and people are like, "Oh, it's Ed." Yeah, it was. That's that's that. Uh, there's a documentary now about uh, the culture in general called the Raise Up the movie. Okay. It's on iTunes and Amazon. But uh, if you if you watch it, I explain. I just, I just I threw a little promo in there because in my head I remember a scene where I'm being interviewed and I'm talking about it's like feeling like a rock star when you get off the plane, and at that point, I never traveled anywhere besides the Dominican Republic as a to- as a toddler. So I traveled to this country that first I never heard of. Uh, and then as soon as I get off the plane, like there's people waiting for me with a sign that says Edward. And then they take me and like, I came a day late because I came from America. I was the only person I came from the side of the hemisphere and everyone else was like from European. So I got there and uh, yeah, as soon as I sat down, everyone was like whispering and, and then like maybe like two or three minutes go by and someone just stands up and goes, yo, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, yeah. So that, that did feel. And then what, what is the, what is the competition? Is it, is it like. Is it like a gymnastics meet where they're they're rating you, or is it like a game of horse? Yeah, it's like a gymnastics uh, uh, one through ten score, um, except that you're it's really based on creativity, so you're expected to do something different than anyone else, and uh, some things that they take into account is uh, endurance, strength. Every competition is different. We still don't have a, a strict formula, but for this one, it was a. Uh, it was overall by four judges gave you overall a overall score and you just had to keep your own personal emphasis on endurance strength and creativity okay so that i mean that's interesting that's cool that, that it's a sport is there a lot of redundancy in things people are doing at the time no at the time no but now i i think uh Creativity hasn't hasn't been as celebrated as much as it used to be, mm-hmm. which is sad because you, you see the same combinations. Uh, if you're in the culture, you know what I'm talking about, like the muscle up 360 and then the swing 360 and then the shrimp flip and then it repeats in some type of variation. What is a muscle up 360? Uh, when you do a regular muscle up, so a muscle up is like a high pull up and then you end up on top of the bar. And at that point, you'll helicopter your legs and twist your body. So you leave the bar turn around into like a 360 degree angle and then catch the bar again sounds I, easy i try to be as descriptive <laughs> as i can <laughs> no I, I i saw it in my head and we'll try to get some um i'll ask you if you have some links that we can drop into the show notes so people can see some of this kind of stuff yeah definitely. because i think that'd be cool i think people who are hearing this for the first time either live under a rock <laughs> right or or aren't necessarily um just in this specific space and I think it'd be so cool for them to see it because when I watch this stuff I look at it like okay well couldn't elite gymnasts in the Olympics do this maybe but those guys dedicate every single day of their lives to their gymnastics craft and the answer is still maybe it's not yes you know I don't know if these guys come to the park and do any better than you guys are doing at it I think you gave a, a it's it's a, something that haunts us in YouTube comments forever. Uh-huh. And I'm actually going to I have plans to interview a, a former competitive uh, uh, U.S. team, okay. Olympian that lives in New York. Dave? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, he, he agreed to it and uh, he's currently on tour in uh, Italy. I think he just got recently back. OK, so uh, hopefully we plan to link up and I'll see what his thoughts are. But I, I know from me personally, I've taught gymnasts at my workshops. And uh, they definitely perform better than the average person, but they are not 
our skill set is very different. So like, it, it looks the same, but it's ex- not exactly. And if you classify, let's say, break dancing with Zumba, someone who does both <laughs> is gonna be like, no, there's those two things are completely different, and this is the same. So uh, some of our movements are definitely the same: uh, back lever, front lever, uh, planche. You could argue the handstand. But then let's say something like the 360 muscle up. No gymnast practices for that. Now you could argue definitely that they have an advantage to learning it for sure. But no gymnast goes through gymnastics training and at the end of it does a 360 muscle up. So either they're great learners or they just won't be able to do it unless they start practicing specifically for it. And this is the same with a lot of moves, the back clap, uh, maybe the shrimp flip. My friend actually... Uh, a young kid that starts training with us, he trained with us for about a year, and now he moved uh, to gymnastics in his school, and he's the best gymnast there now. And I'm he started sure. he started with just a bar star base. That's cool. Yeah, it's great. I actually want to do a video on him too. You should. You know, it's 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 not that different than CrossFit, which is where most of our audience is probably coming from. In that, gymnasts translate well into CrossFit, but they need to be able to do other things that they can't do because they don't start doing them in gymnastics, but they're more likely to pick them up because they got better body awareness, right? A weightlifter walks into a CrossFit gym and they've never, they're never going to lift a heavy weight for themselves in terms of what CrossFit calls heavy, right? But they they can't necessarily do it the way a CrossFitter can do it. So it's not, I don't see that as a, it's a very common parallel between like bar stars and gymnastics and CrossFit and these other sports as well, where it's, yeah, you see some of the same elements, but the way we're doing it is not the same. Exactly. And I think it speaks highly of gymnastics because they produce such great athletes, but mm-hmm. you can't just look at everything that looks like gymnastics and say, oh, it's gymnastics. Right. And, and they could definitely beat you at it and kill you at it. Uh, the workshop I, I, I was, uh, and one workshop I taught one of the European champions and uh, he learned a lot of the moves quick. European gymnastics champion? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, from older, he's a, he's a bit older now. But he still didn't learn every move on his first try. And he, we ended the day without him learning every move we tried to go through. But he did move really fast through the, through the progressions because it is a lot of stuff that either he did or he related to. Mm-hmm. But the, the class ended, he didn't master everything. And it just goes to show you that it's different. You could say it's similar, but you can't say it's exactly the same. No, it's not. It's, it's <laughs> not to mention that one of the things that people who watch gymnastics don't necessarily understand is that those bars move. Those bars are giving you some assistance. Now, I'm not saying gymnastics is easy. So for the people out there who just fell out of their chairs and were like, I can't believe Dr. Sean is saying gymnastics is easy. I am not saying that. What I'm saying is that it's a different skill to take the force that the bar is giving you versus creating your own force around the bar. That in itself makes it totally different. I, I always, it's, it's so hard to have a conversation about the subject because it's like a catch-22 because you want to really tell people the differences, but at the same time, if you mix up with the wrong word, now it's like, oh, you, you don't think Olympic gymnasts are heroes? And, <laughs> and it's like, I'm not saying that because it's the argument that you guys are, are bringing. But, you know, there's the bars move, yes. Uh, they perform certain moves that needs the bar to move, I guess. But it's still something to say that the bar moves when they do muscle-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at a Olympic-level gymnast, the, the chop, that are competing once amongst each other, they all fit a certain height and weight. And if you look at a lot of the catastatic dudes that are, are on YouTube and build up a fame are... Uh, 
tend to be a lot bigger than the average uh, gender. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. two oh five. Exactly. Like some today. Like, yeah. <laughs> so and and you will not feel a competing gymnast at even one ninety. I think. I don't, I don't know. Even but, but. even one eighty, I believe. Like I I I I done a video where I looked at the the height and um. I, I don't know. I guess you guys have to research it for yourself, but there's a lot of differences. Well, I think that the, you know, playground calisthenics, for lack of a better term, right, can be hard, and so can gymnastics. They're not yeah. mu- they're not mutually exclusive. Where if one is hard, the other one is easy, and then yeah. Perfectly so I, said. I get it. I get it. Baseball is not the same sport as softball, but they look very similar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> I wish they were because I really liked baseball and I'm kind of <laughs> over softball. But um, so what kind of advice, if you were giving advice to somebody who's out there, you're looking at a young version of you, right? There's so many people out there right now putting their self out. They're on YouTube, they're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, and their videos are getting 50 views, 70 views, and mom watched five times, right? Do they keep going? What do they do? How do they how do they know if what they're doing is right if they're going to catch on? I would say you you have to really see what makes you happy first and foremost. So if if what you're pursuing is making you happy, then you should keep doing it. If it's not, then you should reevaluate. Now, if it is making you happy and you want to keep growing off uh, YouTube or, or any social media platform, you got to track and learn analytics. Can I stop you there for one second? You said if it makes you happy, right? I want to make sure that I understand how you mean that. Are you talking about it makes you happy right now to pursue that process or it would make you happy if you could afford to do this for a living? That's a good way to break it down. I would say both. Definitely the first part. You have to be happy right there. You have to be happy struggling. Exactly. Like I I have so many friends who... So many friends. And it's like the, the, the more, like if I make five new friends this year, one out of five of them is going to tell me this. And they'll be like, wow, you make money off of just staying home? Yeah, I want to start a YouTube. <laughs> I want to start a YouTube channel. And it's like, dude, you won't believe the amount of work. And, I, and then I always help. Anyone who tells me they want to start a YouTube channel and, and we've been friends, I always help them. And I always tell them, like, it's really hard. Like, you should at least block out a whole year and know for a fact you're going to make no income from YouTube for that year but will still be expected to be held at the same uh, production ske- schedule and quality as, as someone who is and then once you know the start and to this day I haven't had one friend who started and finished <laughs> from uh, from the many years of, of from the from the first year every year so we're starting yeah, I'm gonna start a YouTube channel I'm taking it serious and it's hard you gotta really put in the work yeah I mean we, we see patients here Monday, Wednesday, Friday and people are like so you're off four days a week? I'm like, no, I'm not off one minute a week. Exactly. You know, it's, I, I had no patience yesterday, right? Because yesterday was technically an off day. I worked from six in the morning until about 9.30 at night. And I took a five minute break for lunch. Right? Like that, that was the day. I ate my oatmeal while I started my programming. It's amazing. That, but that, that's the day, right? Yeah. And you, but you know what I'm saying? It's even when you're not tangibly working on something that has a value that can be seen, the thought that you're having is bringing value to everything that you're doing. But so I, I, I veered you off course, the advice you have for somebody who wants to put themselves out there and become successful from it. You started by saying you have to love the process. What else? 
It's like Gary C. Like Gary V said, you gotta work your face off. You gotta, you gotta really put in the work. You know, um, especially if you're trying to do it for yourself. Uh, I've learned at a young age there's no such thing as superheroes. No one's coming to save you. No one's coming with a cape. You have to do it yourself. You have to. You want to make better videos? You have to go out there and learn how to make better videos. Sit down. Uh, if you're near any of the YouTube studios, they teach you for free. Or you could find free videos on YouTube. Um, you want to make better editing, better at your editing skills? You watch YouTube videos. You could sign up for different programs. Invest in yourself and become better at it. And become a better... You should be the best at what you do. If you work out and that's what you want to do for a living, you got to be the best at it. Or strive to be the best at it. You want to make videos? You want to put yourself out there? Be the best at making videos. Or at least be... Take a step forward every day to be being better than you were before. And what about the people who tell you to stop because you're crazy? You can't do this. You need to get a real job. You're gonna you're gonna get that. So I got that from my own uh, family when I started. Sure. Yeah, it's just like you know, how you gonna make money off the internet? That's stupid. You know, I bought the first batch of shirts, printed on Food of Loom, and they're like, okay, just give these away. They're not gonna sell. And it's like like all these all these years later, like if I would listen to them, not only would I've been in a, in a worse place, but I feel like a lot of different people who I could have impact, who I did impact, would have not had that impact. What would I've listened to the naysayers? I think you have to believe your dream more than anyone else. You have to know that you're gonna do it. I was watching a a rapper called Mike Jones. Random interview. I don't know how YouTube just suggested it to me. And he's like, how come they ask him? How come he always says who Mike Jones? Who Mike Jones? And he said he used to give his uh, uh, mixtape to DJs to play at the club. And they would just throw it out. And they like, who's Mike Jones? And he goes, all right, I'm going to throw that back in their face. And then just from there, he started selling, you know, millions of records using this, like, who? I'm, this is who I am. And I think that's a great way. You got to believe in yourself. Be your number one fan. And you got to see through the fog. Because there's going to be a lot of fog. <laughs> a lot of fog. Yeah. There's going to be more fog than sky. Yeah. And, and from, it hurts because it's always from the people that... Uh, you think care about you the most, or they do care about you the most, mm -hmm. and they say it from a good from a good place, out of concern. Well, but I think it's concern, but it's also what I've come to learn is that you're not a person who is comfortable when things are safe. I imagine just just getting to know you a little bit. You're not the kind of guy who's going to be like, oh yeah, pay me thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand dollars a year to do this job nine to five, and I'll be happy. You need to create. So for you, I imagine that. You have more anxiety being paid $100,000 a year to sit in a cubicle and do a job nine to five than to be promised nothing, zero dollars, but do things your way on your schedule the way it needs to be done. Oh, that's so much more rewarding. I, I used For to, you. I used to work a job. I used to... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you, it, it definitely is goes from person to person. But for me personally, I I was not built for the nine to five. I have to like if I'm in the middle of the night and I have an idea, I just get out of bed and I start, and I just have like a three four hour run right there on work, and it was just spontaneous. But if I had to have a sketch a schedule where I had to be productive or I had to be creative, you, you know, I try to do it, but it's you don't get your most maximum efficiency that way, because you never know when the idea is gonna pop in your head. I, I'm a different color version, different size version, different age version, different skill set version of you, right? I mean, I get it. I, yeah. I can't I can't be told this is your schedule. But um but for some people that's comforting knowing I'm going to get a paycheck every 2 weeks. But for somebody like you, for somebody like me, 
it's less comfortable to know I'm getting paid than to know that I can do what I want to do. I'd rather get paid less doing it my way than get paid more doing it your way. Yeah, it's like you're in the car and you're driving as opposed to being a helpless passenger. No matter where that car is going. Exactly. I'll drive myself off a cliff before I let you drive me to the beach. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I get it, I get it. Um, you know, Ed, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on the interview. Is there anything else that you feel like I didn't ask you that would be valuable for people to know out there about you? I think you hit the, you, you touched a lot of different subjects. I had fun uh, speaking from an entrepreneur, speaking from someone who uh, changed in life. And speaking from a fitness perspective, so I think we hit everything, and I'm just glad that you had me on. Cool. It's like a, it's like a rainbow of topics. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't coming here expecting so uh, variety in the, the questions. Cool. <laughs> well, you're smiling, so I'm going to take that as a good thing. Yeah. We'll do it again. For sure. I'll, I'll, it'll be a pleasure. All right. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for listening to the Active Life podcast today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you head to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating so that we can grow and reach and help more people. If you're looking for more from me and my team, head to performancecarerx.com. All the help you're looking for is right there. Until next time, guys, I'm Dr. Sean Pastuch, and the process is the goal.